Chapter Twenty Two Miss Caroline Wynn The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. Du Bois Recorded by A. J. Hilton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bless Alwyn was seated in the anteroom of Senator Smith's office in Washington. The senator had not come in yet, and there were others waiting, too. The young man sat in a corner, dreaming. Washington was his first great city, and it seemed a never-ending delight. The streets, the buildings, the crowds, the shops, and lights, and noise, the kaleidoscopic panorama of a world's doing, the myriad forms and faces, the talk and laughter of men. It was all wonderful magic to the country boy and he stretched his arms and filled his lungs and cried, Here I shall live! Especially was he attracted by his own people. They seemed transformed, revivified, changed. Some might be mistaken for field hands on a holiday, but not many. Others he did not recognize. They seemed strange and alien, sharper, quicker, and at once more overbearing and more unscrupulous. There were yet others, and at the sight of these, Bless stood straighter and breathed like a man. They were well-dressed and well-appearing men and women, who walked upright and looked one in the eye, and seemed like persons of affairs and money. They had arrived. They were men. They filled his mind's ideal. He felt like going up to them and grasping their hands and saying, At last, brother! Ah, it was good to find one's dreams walking in the light, in flesh and blood continually such thoughts were surging through his brain and they were rioting through it again as he sat waiting in senator smith's office the senator was late this morning when he came in he glanced at the morning paper before looking over his mail in the list of his clients do fools like the american people deserve salvation he sneered holding off the headlines and glancing at them league beats trust Farmers of South smash effort to bear market, send cotton to twelve cents. Common people triumph. A man is induced to bite off his own nose and then sing a pean of victory. It's nauseating, senseless. There is no earthly use striving for such blockheads. They'd crucify any savior. Thus half-consciously Senator Smith salved his conscience while he extracted a certificate of deposit for $50,000 from his New York mail. He thrust it aside from his secretary's view and looked at his list as he rang the bell. There was Representative Todd and somebody named Alwyn. Nobody of importance. Easterly was due in a half hour. He would get rid of Todd meantime. Poor Todd, he mused. A lamb for the slaughter. But he patiently listened to him plead for party support and influence for his bill to prohibit gambling in futures. I was warned that it was useless to see you, Senator Smith, but I would come. I believe in you. Frankly, there is a strong group of your old friends and followers forming against you. They met only last night, but I did not go. Won't you take a stand on some of these progressive matters? This bill, or the child labor movement, or, or low-tariff legislation? Mr. Smith listened, but shook his head. When the time comes, he announced deliberately, I shall have something to say on several of these matters. At present I can only say that 
I cannot support this bill. And Mr. Todd was ushered out. He met Mr. Easterly coming in and greeted him effusively. He knew him only as a rich philanthropist who had helped the neighborhood guild in Washington, one of Todd's hobbies. Easterly greeted Smith quietly. Got my letter? Yes. Here are the three bills. You will go on the finance committee tomorrow. Sandridge is chairman by courtesy, but you'll have the real power. Put the child labor bill first, and we'll work the press. The tariff will take most of the session, of course. We'll put the cotton inspection bill through in the last days of the session, see? I'm maneuvering to get the Southern congressman into line. Oh, one thing. Thompson says he's a little worried about the Negroes. Says there's something more than froth in the talk of a bolt in the Northern Negro vote. We may have to give them a little extra money and a few more minor offices than usual. Talk with Thompson. The Negroes are sweet on you, and he's going to be the new chairman of the campaign, you know. Ever met him? Yes. Well, so long. Just a moment. The statesman stayed the financier. Todd just let fall something of a combination against us in Congress. Know anything of it? Not definitely. I heard some rumors. Better see if you can run it down. Well, I must hurry. Good day. While Bless Alwyn in the outer office was waiting and musing, a lady came in. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught the curve of her gown, and as she seated herself beside him, the suggestion of a faint perfume. A vague resentment rose in him. Colored women would look as well as that, he argued. With the clothes and wealth and training, he paused, however, in his thought. He did not want them like the whites, so cold and formal and precise, without heart or marrow. He started up for the secretary was speaking to him. Are you the, uh, the man who had the letter to the senator? Yes, sir. Let me see it. Oh, yes. He will see you in a moment. Bless was returning the letter to his pocket when he heard a voice almost at his ear. I beg your pardon. He turned and started. It was the lady next to him, and she was colored. Not extremely colored, but undoubtedly colored, with waving black hair, light brown skin, and the fuller facial curving of the darker world. And yes, Bless was surprised, for everything else about her, her voice, her bearing, the set of her gown, her gloves and shoes, the whole impression was, Bless hesitated for a word, well, white. Yes, yes, ma'am, he stammered, becoming suddenly conscious that the lady had now a second time asked him if he was acquainted with Senator Smith. That is, ma'am, why was he saying ma'am like a child or a servant? I know his sister and have a letter for him. Do you live in Washington? she inquired. No, but I want to. I've been trying to get in as a clerk, and I haven't succeeded yet. That's what I'm going to see Senator Smith about. Have you had the civil service examinations? Yes, I made 93 in the examination for a treasury clerkship. And no appointment? I see. They are not partial to us there. Bless was glad to hear her say, us. She continued after a pause. May I venture to ask a favor of you? Certainly, he responded. My name is Wynne, lowering her voice slightly and leaning toward him. There are so many ahead of me, and I am in a hurry to get to my school, but I must see the senator. Couldn't I go in with you? I think I might be of service in this matter of the examination, 
and then perhaps I'd get a chance to say a word for myself. I'd be very glad to have you come, said Bless cordially. The secretary hesitated a little when the two started in, but Miss Wynne's air was so quietly assured that he yielded. Senator Smith looked at the tall, straight black man with his smooth skin and frank eyes, and for a second time that morning a vision of his own youth dimmed his eyes, but he spoke coldly. Mr. Alwyn, I believe? Yes, sir. And my friend, Miss Wynne. The senator glanced at Miss Wynne, and she bowed demurely. Then he turned to Alwyn. Well, Mr. Alwyn, Washington is a bad place to start in the world. Bless looked surprised and incredulous. He could conceive of no finer starting place, but he said nothing. It is a grave, continued the senator, of ambitions and ideals. You would far better go back to Alabama, pausing and looking at the young man keenly. But you won't. You won't. Not yet, at any rate. And Bless shook his head slowly. No. Well, what can I do for you? I won't work. I'll do anything. No, you'll do one thing. Be a clerk. And then, if you have the right stuff in you, you will throw up that job in a year and start again. I'd like at least to try it, sir. Well, I can't help you much there. That's in civil service, and you must take the examination. I have, sir. So? Where and what mark? In the Treasury Department. I got a mark of nine to three. What? And no appointment? The senator was incredulous. No, sir. Not yet. Here Miss Wynne imposed. You see, senator, she said, civil service rules are not always impervious to race prejudice. The senator frowned. Do you mean to intimate that Mr. Alwyn's appointment is held up because he is colored? I do. Well, well, the senator rang for a clerk. Get me the treasury on the telephone. In a moment, the bell rang. I want Mr. Cole. Is that you, Mr. Cole? Good morning. Have you a young man named Alwyn on your eligible list? What? Yes? Indeed. Well, why has he no appointment? Of course, I know he's a Negro. Yes, I desire it very much. Thank you. You'll get an appointment tomorrow morning. And the senator rose. How is my sister? He asked absently. She was looking worried, but hopeful for the new endowment when I left. The senator held out his hand. Bless took it and then remembered. Oh, I beg pardon, but Miss Wynne wanted a word on another matter. The senator turned to Miss Wynne. I am a schoolteacher, Senator Smith, and like all the rest of us, I am deeply interested in the appointment of the new school board. But you know the district committee attends to those things, said the senator hastily. And then, too, I believe there is talk of abolishing the school board and concentrating power in the hands of the superintendent. Precisely, said Miss Wynne, and I came to tell you, Senator Smith, that the interests which are back of this attack upon the schools are no friends of yours. Miss Wynne extracted from her reticule a typewritten paper. He took the paper and read it intently. Then he keenly scrutinized the young woman, and she steadily returned his regard. How am I to know this is true? Follow it up and see. He mused. Where did you get these facts? he asked suddenly. She smiled. It is hardly necessary to say, 
And yet, he persisted, if I were sure of this source, I would know my ground better, and my obligation to you would be greater. She laughed and glanced toward Alwyn. He had moved out of earshot and was waiting by the window. I am a teacher in the M Street High School, she said, and we have some intelligent boys there who work their way through. Yes, said the senator. Some, continued Miss Wynne, tapping her boot on the carpet, some wait on table. The senator slowly put the paper in his pocket. And now, he said, Miss Wynne, what can I do for you? She looked at him. If Judge Haynes is reappointed to the school board, I shall probably continue to teach in the M Street High School, she said slowly. The senator made a memorandum and said, I shall not forget Miss Wynne, nor her friends. And he bowed, glancing at Alwyn. The woman contemplated Bless in momentary perplexity, then bowing in turn, left. Bless followed, debating just what he ought to say, how far he might venture to accompany her, what, but she easily settled it all. I thank you. Goodbye, she said briefly at the door, and was gone. Bless did not know whether to feel relieved or provoked or disappointed, and by way of compromise felt something of all three. The next morning he received notice of his appointment to a clerkship in the Treasury Department at a salary of nine hundred dollars. The sum seemed fabulous, and he was in the seventh heaven. For many days of consciousness of wealth, the new duties, the street scenes, the city life kept him more than busy. He planned to study and arranged with a professor at Howard University to guide him. He bought an armful of books and a desk and plunged desperately to work. Gradually, as he became used to the office routine, and in the hours when he was weary of study, he began to find time hanging a little heavily on his hands indeed, although he would not acknowledge it, he was getting lonesome, homesick amid the myriad men of a busy city. He argued to himself that this was absurd, and yet he knew that he was longing for human companionship. When he looked about him for fellowship, he found himself in a strange dilemma. Those black folk in whom he recognized the old, sweet-tempered Negro traits had also looser, uglier manners than he was accustomed to, from which he shrank. The upper classes of Negroes, on the other hand, he still observed from afar. They were strangers not only in acquaintance, but because of a curious coldness and aloofness that made them cease to seem his own kind. They seemed almost at times like black-white people, strangers in way and thought. He tried to shake off this feeling, but it clung, and at last, in sheer desperation, he promised to go out of a night with a fellow clerk, who rather boasted of the people he knew. He had soon tired of the strange company and had turned to go home when he met a newcomer in the doorway. Why, hello, Sam, Sam Stillings, he exclaimed delightedly and was soon grasping the hand of a slim, well-dressed man of perhaps thirty with yellow face, curling hair, and shifting eyes. Well, of all things, bless, uh, um, Mr. Owen, I thought you were hoeing cotton. Bless laughed and continued shaking his head. He was foolishly glad to see the former Cresswell butler whom he had known but slightly. His face brought back unuttered things that made his heart beat faster and a yearning surge within him. I thought you went to Chicago, cried Bless. I did, but going into politics, having entered the political field, I came here. 
And you graduated, I suppose, and all that? No, Bless admitted a little sadly, as he told of his coming north and of Senator Smith's influence. But how are all? Abruptly, Sam hooked his arm into Alwyn's and pulled him with him down the street. Stillings was a type. Up from servility and menial service, he was struggling to climb to money and power. He was shrewd, willing to stoop to anything in order to win. The very slights and humiliations of prejudice he turned to his advantage. When he learned all the particulars of Alwyn's visit to Senator Smith and his cordial reception, he judged it best to keep in touch with this young man, and he forthwith invited Bless to accompany him the next night to the 15th Street Presbyterian Church. You'll find the best people there, he said, the aristocracy. The treble clef gives a concert, and everybody, that's anybody, will be there. They met again the following evening and proceeded to the church. It was a simple but pleasant auditorium, nearly filled with well-dressed people. During the program, Bless applauded vociferously every number that pleased him, which is to say, every one, and stamped his feet until he realized that he was attracting considerable attention to himself. Then the entertainment straightway lost all its charm. He grew painfully embarrassed, and for the remainder of the evening was awkwardly self-conscious. When all was over, the audience rose leisurely and stood in little knots and eddies, laughing and talking. Many moved forward to say a word to the singers and players. Stillings stepped aside to a group of men, and Bless was left miserably alone. A man came to him, a white-faced man with slightly curling close gray hair and high-bred ascetic countenance. "'You are a stranger?' he asked pleasantly, and Bless liked him. "'Yes, sir,' he answered, and they fell to talking. He discovered that this was the pastor of the church. "'Do you know no one in town?' "'One or two of my fellow clerks and Mr. Stillings. "'Oh, yes, I, I've met Miss Wynn. "'Why, here's Miss Wynn now.' Bless turned. She was right behind him, the center of a group. She turned slowly and smiled. Oh, she uttered twice, but with different cadence. Then something like amusement lurked a moment in her eye, and she quietly presented Bless to her friends, while Stillings hovered unnoticed in the offing. Miss Jones? Mr. Alwyn of, she paused a second, Alabama. Miss Taylor? Mr. Alwyn? and, with a backward curving of her neck, Mr. Tearswell, and so on. Mr. Tearswell was handsome and indolent, with indecision in his face and a cynical voice. In a moment, Bless felt the subtle antagonism of the group. He was an intruder. Mr. Tearswell nodded easily and turned away, continuing his conversation with the ladies. But Miss Wynne was perverse and interrupted. "'I saw you enjoyed the concert, Mr. Alwyn,' she said." and one of the young ladies rippled audibly. Bless darkened painfully, realizing that these people must have been just behind him, but he answered frankly, Yes, I did, immensely. I hope I didn't disturb you. You see, I'm not used to hearing such singing. Mr. Tearswell, compelled to listen, laughed dryly. Plantation melodies, I suppose, are more your specialty, he said with a slight cadence. Yes, said Bless simply. A slight pause ensued. Then came the surprise of the evening for Bless Alwyn. Even his inexperienced eye could discern that Miss Wynne was very popular, and that most of the men were rivals for her attentions. Mr. Alwyn, she said, graciously rising, 
I'm going to trouble you to see me to my door. It's only a block. Good night, all, she called, but she bowed to Mr. Tearswell. Miss Wynne placed her hand lightly on Bless's arm, and for a moment he paused. A thrill ran through him as he felt again the weight of a little hand and saw beside him the dark, beautiful eyes of a girl. He felt again the warm quiver of her body. Then he awoke to the lighted church and the moving, well-dressed throng. The hand on his arm was not so small, but it was well-gloved, and somehow the fancy struck him that it was a cold hand and not always sympathetic in its touch. End of Chapter 22